is that when I say good morning, everybody says good morning back. So we're going to try this again because our message today is called United for Christ. And I want us as one body, one really united group, to all give me a really good good morning because I know you guys can do it. So good morning, Tom. Good morning, T. Hala. Whichever you want. T. Hala, you should do a little hand thing. But either way, you know, I'll be okay if you don't. But all right. So good morning, church. Thank you. That is so much better, you guys. I know it's a goofy thing, but you guys have no idea how much it really does help. I feed off your energy. Um, We are going to, like I said, we are talking about being united for Christ. We are going to be studying John 17, 20 through 23 today. Before we um, really get into that, I want to talk to you about, give you some context to the passage first. At our Thursday night Bible study for our young adults, shameless plug, if you're a young adult, we have Thursday night Bible study at the flip side. At the Friday night Bible, or Thursday night Bible study at the flip side, we are doing, we are going through the Bible in a year. We we are reading through the Bible chronologically. And we watched a series of David Platt videos on how to study your Bible. And one of the things that he really emphasizes in these studies is context, context, context. It is so important. We get some really messed up ideas when we take passages out of context. So I want to share with you the context of what happens um, just before John 17 and then at the first part of John 17. So the couple chapters before John 17, Jesus has just finished the Passover meal with his disciples and he is now telling them what is to come. And if you think that Jesus did not understand what is to come, I want you to think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is praying, drops of blood are falling down because he knows what is about to happen. He knows the torture he is going to go through. He knows the death he is going to die. He knows what is going to happen. And now he is sharing this message with his disciples that he's going away. After he shares this message with them, um, he starts to pray First he prays for himself, and then he prays um, for his disciples. And it's really kind of a cool thing. One of the commentaries I read talked about how the first few chapters there, a message is coming from the Father to Jesus that he's given to his disciples. And then right after that in John 17, he has taken his concern for his disciples and giving that back up to his Father. And kind of just a cool flow of, of God going through there. But when he starts to pray for himself, Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him, that he may glorify the Father. So just a very small section where he prays for himself, despite what he is going to go through. Secondly, Jesus prays for his disciples. Um, it's really cool. On a Thursday night Bible study, second shameless plug, we, um, we just got done with, we're in the Old Testament right now, we just got done with Leviticus, we're in Leviticus numbers area. So we just recently studied Jacob and the blessing of his 12 sons. Uh, Moses also will bless the 12 tribes. And in both cases, not every one of those 12 was blessed. When Jacob blesses his 12 sons, a couple of them have done things that they're not blessed because of. Reuben is one. Simeon and Levi are both told in their blessing that they are not going to have a land, that they are not going to have an inheritance in, in the land. And the same thing as Jesus is praying Not all 12 of the disciples are blessed. Jesus already knows who is going to betray him. And Jesus already um, prays about the one that's doomed to destruction. He knows that he has managed to keep all the disciples except for the one that was doomed to destruction. It was already foretold what was going to happen, already foreordained. 
Um, and then this is where we come to the third part of the part that we are going to study of this prayer. So the second part, the third part of the prayer. So let's read together John 17, 20 to 23. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. And real quick, let's, we're going to stop at that passage for one second, at that one verse. Because um, I want you to see what I see in this passage. Because this is such a cool thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knows what he's about to go through. And who does he pray for? He prays for us. He says, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples, for, but for all those who are going to believe because of the disciples' message. That is such a cool thing. You are the people who have chosen to believe because of that message. And that is such an exciting thing that you were on Jesus' heart in his last days. You were on his mind in his last days. Jesus, in that prayer, he's not... We look at things and we look at third person, kind of. We look like we don't really put ourselves there. Like the story is not for us. It's just something that we're viewing from the outside and, and kind of happening to other people. <clears throat> but we are in this passage. Jesus is praying and he is saying, my prayer is not for them, meaning the disciples alone, but I also pray for the Christ family who is going to come to know me. I also pray for the springs who are going to come to know me through the message of these disciples. My prayer is also for my boy Tihala, who when he is reading and halfway through Matthew, is going to come to realize that this Jesus is who he needs in his life. My prayer is for you. Jesus is praying for each one of us, and that is such a cool thing. If we can really grasp that this is God's word, and this is for us, and Jesus is praying for us, and that blows my mind. We're going to go back to our passage here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Cool part of the past message today, this is God's word for us today. Every week I get to see the pastors up here doing this and it's just a cool thing. God's word for us today, praise God. So we are going to pray now and I'm going to ask you to pray for me well, I'm praying for this message because, as you will find out, if you know me, not a gifted speaker, so, and if you know me, you know this already. If you don't know me, you'll find out by the end of the message today. So it only works, honest to God, I swear this, it only works if I really, if you guys are praying for this message because only if God shows up is anything cool going to come out of this today. Is anything meaningful going to come out of this today? So I'm going to pray, and I just ask that while I'm praying, you would be praying also, and throughout the message. You know, listen to me with one ear, pray to God with, you know, whatever. So just, just be praying for the message today. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for each person here, Lord. I thank you for the amazing worship that we had, that we can come before you just praising your name and, and singing our praises to you in that, the worship, Lord. I thank you for... Uh, the hearts that you have brought here, the people that you have brought here. I pray that you would open their hearts to receive a word from you, Father. 
I pray that your name would be glorified today, no matter what, Father, whether it's um, the words that you've given me to speak or in spite of words that I say, Father, I pray ultimately that you would be glorified. Lord, we just thank you and praise you again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read for you first an article that I found in Christianity Today. And uh, we're going to start with that. This is from Buenos Aires. It's a church in a city in Argentina. Facing its final Sunday as a church, a small Pentecostal congregation emailed Norberto Sirocco on a Wednesday in 2007 asking for prayer. They would lose their Buenos Aires property unless the church paid an impossible 25000 U.S. dollars, nearly a year's worth of offerings, to resolve a long-standing property lawsuit. Sirocco, the co-leader of the Council of Pastors in Argentina's capital, sent up a prayer and sent out an email saying, we cannot afford to let $25,000 close a church in Buenos Aires. Two days later, pastors from an array of denominations had donated the money. When we say that there is only one church in Buenos Aires, these are the consequences, explained Sirocco. If we want a strong church in Buenos Aires, every local church has to be strong. This is just one of the fruits of perhaps the most remarkable experiment in citywide church unity today. Argentina's unity movement is based on a simple biblical concept. Each time the New Testament speaks of a church in a city such as Ephesus, it is always singular, never plural, says Carlos Morata, pastor of Del Centro First Baptist Church. Yet, when the New Testament speaks of leadership in a city, it is always plural. The church is singular, but the leadership is plural. And that's where I cough every sermon, so thank you. Um, When Pastor Bill asked me to to speak today, I asked him what he wanted me to talk about. And he said doesn't matter, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you want to talk about. So the decision was easy for what I wanted to talk about. I knew I wanted to talk about church unity. And in all fairness, that was the only easy part of all of this. But that part was really, really easy. Um, Because God has been putting unity on my heart for years now. Um, We have a young adult ministry, like I said, down at the flip side there. And I see in that place every denomination At our Bible study on Thursday nights, we have Catholics, we have Pentecostals, obviously Methodists, we have Baptists. We have every denomination at at our place at one point or another, and especially part of our Bible study. Bible, Bible study down there has been so dynamic because we've had all these different churches working together, or people from different churches working together with a passion for God and a passion to hear his word. So I know I've seen this work. So we are going to discuss this passage, though. This is, that's why unity was so important to me. Um, in, this, in this prayer, Jesus asked the Father to make us one or unify us four times. That is significant because, as David Platt says in our How to Study the Bible video, there's certain things we're looking for when we're studying, studying Scripture. We're looking for connecting words. We're looking for comparing and contrasting words. Um, and we're looking for repeating words. So when in one chapter something is repeated four times, that's significant. There's a purpose for that. Nothing else in that chapter is repeated except for the idea of unity. And this is his last prayer. This is what he prays for us. So why is it so important to Jesus that we become one, that we have a unified body? And the answer to that was right in our passage in verse 21b. 
21, the second half here, it says, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Later in that Christianity Today article, the pastors are sharing how the church had been growing despite the fact that everything else in Buenos Aires had been crumbling. By every spiritual and secular measure, Buenos Aires was falling apart, but the church was growing. The church was succeeding. One of the pastors says, and this is such a cool thing, I got this this article from Christianity Today years ago, decided when Pastor asked me to do this message that John, John 17 is really where I wanted to speak from. And uh, it's, it was just amazing because when I got back in here, they quote, the pastor quotes the same passage that we're talking about today. And I didn't know that until after this. Just, and God just works everything out. God is so cool. But one of the pastors says that Jesus is the only requirement for us to see revival. The only requirement for us to see revival is that we be one so that the world may believe. And that's where he references John 17. The missionary paradigm of each one doing his own thing did not work. We have to go back to a biblical paradigm. And when I read that part, that section from this pastor here, it makes me think of, of, I think it's Proverbs. There is a way that seems right unto a man. We think that we know how to do it. We think that we know how to get people here, how to get people involved, how to get people to know Christ. But God tells us in his word the way that we reach people. And it is through the unity of the church that God is going to reach people. Everything that we try, us just working harder and harder, we need to just be one. When we are one, when we are setting an example the way God has taught us to set an example, when we are being what we should be, we won't have to go out as much. We will. We'll still send people out. But people are going to see what Christ does in our lives, and they are going to want to be a part of that. That is how we bring people to Christ. I have a cartoon I want to read for you. It's a Peanuts cartoon, so you know, Charlie Brown, Snoopy cartoon. This one has Lucy and Linus in it. And Linus is watching TV, and Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channel, threatening with her fist if he didn't. Linus says, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus sheepily hands over the remotes and asks, what channel do you want? Then as Linus turns away and is walking away, he's looking at his hand and he says, why can't you guys get unified, united like that? And <laughs> imagine as a church what we could accomplish in Bemis Point if this church was really united as one body, everybody playing their part, doing what God has made them to do. Imagine in Chautauqua County what we could do if all of our churches were united as one with one single purpose, one single goal of reaching the lost for Christ. The possibilities are endless. There is so much need, so much hurt that doesn't need to be there if we were doing our part. So we have to ask ourselves two questions for how do we become one. And I think that these work for both one as a body here and one as a body among churches. Um, so we have to first, we're going to ask what divides us 
And there's an online article that I saw that had seven things that separate us. We're going to talk about the first three of them because the last four, I think, fall under really the first one, which is sin. Uh, So we're just going to discuss the first three. So the first one, obviously, is sin. Sin creates a sense of alienation or division from God and from each other. Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.15, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their consciences are defiled. I read one of the commentaries on that passage, and uh, the commentary commentator wrote, Sin perverts the mind so that one does not look at life the same way as before. It also says that some children are adorable because we love to see the beauty of their innocence. But what happens on the trip to adulthood, sin alters the way a person looks at it, at life and the world. With maturity, people become distrustful, sophisticated, competitive, cosmopolitan, cynical, suspicious, sarcastic, prejudiced, self-centered, and uninvolved. It is sin that drives people apart and creates fear in our churches. We've got to ask ourselves, what sin then, right? We know the big sins. We know the murder, the stealing. We know homosexuality and adultery. One of the things very divisive in our church today, homosexuality, splitting up denominations. I would suggest to you, though, that it's not the big sins that are destroying our churches. Now, granted, homosexuality has been very divisive in our churches, but I would suggest to you that the sin that's really causing the division is pride in this area. It's the pride that says that this sin isn't sin anymore. It's pride to say that God's word is false and that I know better and that this sin that has been sin forever is no longer sin. It's okay now. It's one of our minor sins, pride. But the pride is what is destroying our church. Another thing destroying churches is the sins of the tongue. Gossip, lying, slander, critical speech, sarcasm, ridicule. These are the things that eat away at the foundation of our churches and the foundation of our communities. The big sins we know about, they're easy to see. The little respectable sins that, oh, everybody's doing it, it's not a big deal. These are the real destructive sins. These are the sins that if we focused on the minor sins, the respectable sins, the bigger major sins would much more take care of themselves. We have got to get our focus right when it comes to sin. Other sins that are, there's a great book called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges and other sins that he lists that are destroying our churches. Anger, anxiety, discontentment, thanklessness, selfishness, envy, jealousy, Uh, The book has a whole list of other ones. Um, These are the things that we have got to get our focus on, becoming more Christ-like in the little sins. The second divider that prevents, prevents us is lack of forgiveness. And this could probably go under the sin thing as well, but I think this is so important that we are doing this separately. I want you to understand that we cannot embrace our brothers and sisters if our arms are overburdened with grudges that we refuse to let go of. In Buenos Aires, they became friends. They began meeting together. They had one big committee, began meeting together and building relationships together. And that is how this all started. To take the next step, they realized there was something that they were going to have to do. They were going to have to have reconciliation. 
In Buenos Aires in the 1970s and early 80s, Argentina went through a sort of a civil war called the Dirty War. Um, I know very little about Argentina, but I did watch Evita, and I liked it, so I feel like that makes me kind of an expert. But you can fact-check any of this anyways. Um, but a deep divide was created between the mainline churches and the evangelical churches because the mainline churches were standing up for human rights because there were all sorts of human rights violations going on. And this article says the evangelical churches remained more silent on it. And this created deep hurts and deep divides between these two types of churches. So in 1999, at a downtown summit, the Council of Churches asked the two sides to forgive one another in front of the 250,000 people that were gathered there. After this, they were able to let go and move on and take the next step in unity and becoming one and really taking serving God to the next level. I don't know that we always really appreciate the harm that is done uh, to others when we refuse to forgive, but even more, I don't think we understand the harm we do to ourselves when we refuse to forgive. When we refuse to forgive, it's kind of like judging somebody, saying you're guilty, correctly or incorrectly, either way we're saying they're guilty, and we take them and we throw them and we shut the door and lock them into a cell. What we don't realize, though, is that when we take them and we throw them out and we lock that door, we're the ones that are inside the cell. We have locked ourselves into a prison of unforgiveness, a prison of bitterness and resentfulness. They're on the outside. They're fine. They're probably moved on and don't care anymore. But we are trapped. And it's not until we open that door and forgive and walk out that we are ever going to find true freedom from unforgiveness. I want you to know as a church, and we've been through a lot of things in this church, and I know there's been hurts, there's been pains, but if we are all locked in cells of unforgiveness, it's really hard to be united when we are looking at each other through a row of prison cells. We have got to open the door to forgiveness. We have got to walk out and claim the freedom that Christ has given us. We have been forgiven so much. Not one of you in this room can claim you have not been forgiven. We have been forgiven for so much least we can do is forgive others for their offenses against us. The third divider is prioritizing secondary issues. And what are secondary issues, you ask? Excellent question. You guys are on the ball today. All right. So secondary issues are things like hobbies, which Bible version you should read, um, finances, politics, even the theological issues that become secondary issues, like do you need to have a potluck at the end of every event if you're Baptist? Do you have that argument? And I was Baptist, so I can make that joke, and nobody else can. So, Some of the secondary issues that are mentioned by the church in Buenos Aires, though, are divorce, eternal security, salvation, second baptism of the Holy Spirit, and worship. There's a great quote that was... Uh, popularized by John Wesley. It's a much older quote than him, but he's the one who, who kind of popularized it. And it says, this is what we, are to go, what we are to aim for. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In all things, charity. In all things, love. Now, I want to be perfectly clear on this. I'm not saying that there are not essentials, that we just throw everything out you know, throw everything out and it doesn't matter. There are absolutely essentials that we have got to defend, that we have got to stand up for. We cannot just whitewash over God's word. There are essentials. 
that are of the utmost importance. And for 2,000 years, people have died within the Christian church to defend these essentials, and we cannot let them fall today. We have got to continue to fight for what these essentials are. In in, uh, Buenos Aires, they agreed on core theological elements. The Trinity, Jesus' death on the cross, um, his second coming, Basically, it says the gospel of Billy Graham and the Lucian Convention. I cannot tell you what all is in the Lucian Convention. I looked it up quick, kind of read through it. It was good. If you get a chance, go online and check for some of those essentials. Truth is so important, and there are truths that we must hold on to. And this brings us to our last section. So these are the three things we know. These divide churches. These are the things to, that we need to fix. So what unites us? What unites us as a body? Number one, worship. Isn't it cool to be able to come here and have such a great band up here and be able to worship God together with one voice? It's an amazing, amazing thing. And even more amazing is when you go to a huge, I went to a Promise Keepers event years ago, and to have thousands of men in a stadium singing praise to God all as one. There's nothing like it. In Cuba, even better. We were there, and we start, our young people got to worship, lead the worship at the Park Church in Cuba. And the first song they sang, and they sang in English, and so those of us who were English, you know, we sang with them. The second song they sang, the Cubans knew also. So the Cubans are singing it in Spanish while we're singing it in English, and it was the most amazing worship service I have ever been a part of. To know that language barriers cannot even divide us from being united with brothers and sisters around the world in worship. There was not a dry eye at that church that day. It was an amazing, amazing thing, worship. Prayer. If you do not have people that you pray with, you are missing out on the best relationships in your life. When you have somebody who knows everything about you, is willing to pray with you, that you can share every aspect of your life with, that is something that every person needs to have. That is a great unifier. Small group participation. Like I said, we have young adult stud groups. We have all sorts of adult groups to be a part of here. Small groups are a great way to get involved and become one and build relationships with people. Classes and service in our church. These are all ways that we become one. There's a progression of being united in all these things. Our young adult ministry, we have a mission. Our mission statement is that we are creating an environment that encourages and enables young adults to mature in their walk with God, taking them from unsaved to saved, from spectator to participant, from participant to leader. Becoming one is about taking steps. It's about each one of us seeking God and knowing where he wants us next, what the next step for us in our faith is, in our walk with him, in our walk as a church. We have got to be seeking God and taking those next steps. We had a softball game a few weeks ago, and a good chunk of our team didn't show up. And it meant that I was playing shortstop. Now, I love playing shortstop. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm too old <laughs> to play shortstop, okay? Fifteen years ago, different story. I could play shortstop, but I can't move around. I do not have the range to play shortstop the same way anymore. Our second baseman was playing third base. Our outfielders were all moved around. Everybody was out of position because part of our team didn't show up to play the role that they were called to play. 
The big question that I want to send you home with for this week is what is the role that you are called to play? What is the body? What part of the body has God called you to be? Whichever analogy you want to use, whichever one works, figure it out. This week, spend time in prayer. This week, seek God and say, Father, where do you want me? Where can I grow in my walk with you? Where can I take the next step that you have ordained for me? God takes us where we're at. We ask for forgiveness. We ask salvation. And God will take us wherever we're at. But God loves us too much to keep us there. He wants us stepping out and stepping into the next place that he has for us, the role that he has for us. When the church in Buenos Aires became united in their mission to reach the people of their community, they became an incredible force. Church buildings that would have closed found support from their brothers and sisters. Government has been changed as the body of Christ has stood united against immoral laws. Congregations that are strong in social work are teaching those congregations that struggle in that area. Congregations that are strong in evangelism are training congregations that are weak in evangelism. God is doing amazing things through the unity of his church. Outside these doors, and even inside these doors, there is a hurting world. There is a world that needs us, that needs the message that we have, that needs us to care about them, to love for them, to provide for them when they need it. We cannot do that if we are not all playing our parts, if we are all not playing the position that God has for us, if we are all not being the body part that God has called us to be. I want you to think about that this week. Next week, when you come back, you've prayed about this. God has put on your heart, and God will. You pray about this, I guarantee you right now, God will speak. God will reveal to you what your next step is. And if your next step is to get involved somewhere, you come back here next week, and we have people who will help get you connected. Any one of the staff, you talk to them, and we will find where we can connect you within this church body. You talk to Charlie, who was up here earlier. He can connect you in the community. But it's so important that we are getting connected and being part of the body of Christ. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'll let you leave. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for each person here today. I pray that, that you just be with them, Lord. I pray that you put on their hearts what you have for them next, what the next step in their walk is with you, Father. I pray that as they seek you this week, you reveal yourself to them in a new power, new and powerful way, Lord. I pray that next week they come back and they are ready to take that next step, that they are ready to do whatever you have called them to do. Not that we can be glorified, Father, but that you can be glorified because that is all that matters, Lord, that your name is glorified. Father, go with these people today. Bless them, watch over them, take care of them. And just be a blessing to them, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.